0: you will take your bibles this morning and join with me in turning to the book of ruth we will continue our study through this wonderful book i hope it's been a blessing to you to see the glorious gospel in this small old testament book I'm going to be reading today from Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. This is God's holy word. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi they named him Obed he was the father of Jesse the father of David this ends the reading of God's holy inspired infallible word may he write its truth on our hearts today let's pray father how thankful we are to have this time together and we're thankful for your word preserved by you and kept for us. We're thankful for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and make this known to us, to reveal the truth to us, to show us our Lord Jesus Christ. It is him we long to see, and may we see him today. Father, we join together now and, and pray for our brothers and sisters who are not able to be here we pray for those who are in need today we pray for those who are uh, suffering lord whether it may be body or soul or spirit we ask lord for your blessing we pray for your healing we are thankful for how you've heard our prayers and have watched over this church we thank thank you for your protection lord we thank you that you have brought back uh, together today with us those who have been away on quarantine, some for, for many, many weeks and months, and we rejoice that we're all able to be gathered here together today, and Lord, we give you the praise and glory for it. We continue to pray, Father, for, for those in our family who have wandered away. Some who have never known you. And how we pray, Lord, that you would work to bring the lost to you. Our family and and dearest friends, how we pray, Lord, for a great work. We pray that you would use us. We pray that you would use this church here in this community to bring about your kingdom. We pray, Father, for those who are working overseas overseas we thank you for their their sacrifice and their service to you and how we pray for your blessing upon them we we pray that we might give and support them joyfully here today we pray for their health we pray for wisdom and strength we pray lord for open hearts as they preach the gospel wherever they may be lord again we thank you for this time and how we pray for a, and now pouring of your Spirit here in our midst today, in our city, across our country, and across the world. And we join together now and pray as our Lord Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen our daughter madison has been married for almost a year in fact next sunday uh, correct me if i'm wrong is her one year anniversary so as potential grandparents sometimes the conversation will come up uh usually we bring it up so uh have you thought about or are you talking about thinking about you know maybe one day starting a family uh and you know we yeah we're we're thinking about it, we've talked about it, hey, no pressure we We are just curious. we just want to know, and then sometimes that will segue into the name conversation, and you guys know me. I always bring up you know Woodrow, Agnes, names that were popular, maybe. 40 or 50 years ago and if you have that name i'm sorry i'm not trying to pick on anybody but i'm throwing these things out knowing that madison's going to roll her eyes at me we have in our text a list of names um and one is still very popular today isn't it david one that is maybe not as but still somewhat we hear this name don't we jesse and then There's one that's even less so, but I do recall uh, knowing a man named Boaz when I was growing up. But have you ever heard of someone named Obed? I've tossed this out to Madison, just, you know, hey, uh, what a great name. It's a shame that there are no Obeds today, are there? Not that I know of. Now, I'm hoping that all of you will tell your friends and neighbors about this sermon. Maybe our people on the Internet will get this thing sharing around. And in 20 years or so, everywhere we look, we'll see Obeds like we see Davids and Johns and and Matthews today. Probably not. But I can hope. Obed. Probably in, in the Hebrew pronunciation, it should be obeyed, but... Since we have known him for years and years and years as Obed, that's what I'm going to call him today. And as we come to this section of Ruth, uh, we see here a great emphasis not only on the the birth of this little boy, but the giving of his name. Uh, We have reached the climactic point here of this story, haven't we, here in this book of Ruth that is a story of Salvation and transformation and redemption from famine to fullness, and as I tried to make the point last week, from death to life. This is a story of how God graciously intervened in the lives of a relatively obscure older lady uh, and a, a seemingly Uh, unimportant peasant refugee and a, a kind but childless man to save them not only from their current situation but from eternal hell he did that for them he did that for you this is your story every bit as much as this is ruth's story and Boaz's story, and Naomi's story. How does God show his kindness and mercy and grace in the birth of a relatively insignificant and obscure baby? Well, let's look and see. I want to begin with what I'm calling an unpredictable marriage. An unpredictable marriage, we are going through this story here in the book of Ruth verse by verse. We've been doing this now for for several months, and we might forget just how unpredictable is the scene here before us in verse 13. Uh, Things have changed, haven't they? Many of us have read this story so often, and it just doesn't hit us like maybe it did that first time, or, or like it would somebody who didn't know the story, but Things have changed drastically. We have a man here, a, a, a little bit of an older man, who uh, before did not seem to have marriage on the radar. We have this, this foreign lady, this, this woman, this widow, one who would be considered in many respects undesirable because of her situation. And then we have this, this older lady She's also a widow. And then in in an unpredictable plot twist, we have what has been unimaginable up to this point. Ruth and Boaz are joined together in marriage. Let's reflect for just a moment on these two people. Uh, Boaz first. Boaz, who I call a, a faithful man. A faithful man, we... We point this out because what we must recall here in verse 13 with Boaz taking Ruth as his wife is that he's actually fulfilling an oath. Do you remember that? Boaz had made a vow. We go back to chapter 3 and we remember that midnight rendezvous at the threshing floor when Ruth came to him. And they met and He makes this promise to Ruth in chapter 3, verse 13. But if he, that is the other potential redeemer, is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So what I want us to see here is that we have a man who is not just taking a woman to be his wife, but he is fulfilling a vow that he has made to the Lord. A faithful man. This is... The picture of Boaz throughout the book, isn't it? A picture of, of faithfulness when he's introduced to us in chapter 2, verse 1, we are told that he is what? A worthy man. Now, now that means a lot more than we think of today when we use and, and hear the word worthy. Uh, Boaz uh, was a mighty man of valor. He was a, a, a strong man Uh, And the focus is not so much on his physical strength, but his spiritual strength. Boaz is uh, a faithful, responsible, good steward of what God has put under him. He was kind. He greets his uh, servants in the fields in the name of the Lord. The Lord be with you when he arrives. He reaches out to this foreign young lady ruth for no other reason than than just kindness he tells her don't go to any other fields stay in my fields in my fields you'll be protected and even before we get to verse 14 in chapter 4 boaz is a blessed man but no wife no child and, and I can't help but wonder if Boaz maybe as he was trying to fall asleep at, at night would often wonder will, will I ever find someone is 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 there someone out there for me maybe we, we don't know but if he did desire that we never see in Boaz any frustration any discontent any disappointment but we see a man here who is rock steady in his faithfulness to god and god's word this is his reputation in bethlehem and so i just want to point out to you husbands maybe future husbands i think there's a a word for us here, what qualifies us to be husbands is to be faithful to God, to his word, to our wives, to our families, to our churches. And for Boaz's faithfulness, we see that God blesses him with a beautiful wife. And this wife is Ruth. And so let's, let's consider Ruth here just for a moment. And I want to do so under the heading, A Submissive Wife. A submissive wife. Now, you might think, oh, Brother Randy, you need to hold on right there. We don't use that word anymore. We don't say submissive and wife. That's no, 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 no. This isn't the 1800s. Don't uh, throw the patriarchy at us, please. We don't need any more of that uh, barefoot and pregnant and whatever that people, you know, think when, when they hear that word. Well, that's not my point at all. And if you have a problem with submission, I would just like to point out to you uh, that you have a problem with the Lord who says in Ephesians 5.21 that we are all to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The main point that I want us to see here is, is not so much Ruth's submission to Boaz uh, her her submission to Boaz is based on her submission to the Lord. What we must see is that Ruth's submission throughout the story begins there. Uh, if you think back with me, and I'm going to refer to chapter 1 quite often because things have come full circle now. But in chapter 1, verse 16, uh, Ruth says to Naomi, For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Ruth's commitment is to the one who she has come to know as the only true God. She forsakes everything. She leaves everything. And as we go through the story, we see because of her submission and commitment to the God of Israel, she submits to Naomi. Remember? Uh, Naomi is the one who says hey I think I've got an idea I've got a plan and remember what we read there Ruth obeyed her completely we see her submitting to Boaz she works in his field she comes to his table she comes and, and lays at his feet and refers to herself over and over throughout the story as your servant And she waits for him patiently as he gathers the elders of Bethlehem and takes care of all the legalities. And what an incredible change of status has taken place. I don't know if you've noticed this in the story, but Ruth has gone step by step by step from a foreign refugee to a servant. To a, a technical word that we could translate maybe as maidservant when she comes to Boaz basically she's saying hey I'm interested and eligible and now a wife do you see what a beautiful progression what God has done for this wonderful woman the Lord rewards her with a most unpredictable marriage to a to a wonderful man how, how can such a wonderful wedding day like this come about well we point out the faithful man boaz and the submissive wife ruth but these two could have never been brought together without the work of the sovereign god sovereign god it was the lord ultimately who brought them together who was working behind the scenes in ways that that aren't always evident in the text To ensure that this woman and this man would come together. We're reminded of God's word from Ephesians 1.11. That the Lord works all things according to the counsel of His will. And similarly in Romans 8.28. That for those who love God all things work together for good. But what do we mean by all of this? Are we saying that God is working To bring about my happiness? Well, maybe. Not necessarily. As we wind toward the end of the book of Ruth, we see that God has something much, much, much bigger than Boaz's happiness and Ruth's happiness in mind. The Lord can see it all. He can see everyone. He can see the past. He can see the future. He knows where this is going. And with all of that in mind, we we see here that it's really not so much about Boaz and Ruth's happiness as much as it is God blessing them, not only here with this marriage and with this child, but in fulfilling his purpose to bring to his people a great king so we must say that whatever it is that we are considering here today if we're not happy if it's relationships if it's uh, your marriage or, or the lack of a marriage or, or whatever it may be it's not about your happiness as much as it is how god is using it for his kingdom and for his glory Those of you that are married, like Boaz and Ruth here have gotten married in this story. Do you think of your marriage in those terms? The the big question is not, well, you know, I'm not sure she's really making me happy. I'm not sure he's making me happy. The question is, what is God doing in our marriage? How is he using it for his kingdom? What great... Great things God did with this marriage. This is not just a man who's now happy. He's found someone, not a woman who was going to be destitute. Okay, great, she found someone. Those are, those are temporary, temporal fixes. As is marriage, in case you've forgotten. Most likely, Boaz and Ruth, probably did not know about King David. After all, they were his great-grands, and Boaz is already a little bit older. But we must see that the real story here, something that the writer will not let us get away from as this this genealogy is continually put here for us at the end of this book, (laughs) that the real story here the very reason that we have this book is not primarily a love story about Boaz and Ruth, although that's very helpful to us and it's very beautiful and we appreciate it. But the real story is of a faithful man and a submissive wife who entrust everything to God regardless of outcome. And we can see that in their life before they're ever married. So we move on from this marriage to an unexpected baby from an unpredictable marriage to an unexpected baby Uh, unexpected I know when uh, a woman is pregnant Uh, she's carrying this child for the nine or so months whatever what do we say she's expecting right that's one of the things that we say is that a, uh, a woman is expecting a mother to be But we would certainly agree that this is a most unusual, unexpected outcome for Ruth and Boaz, right? I mean, if we go back just a little bit in time, we don't have to go very far. Uh, Obviously, there's nine months here that have been condensed in a a short amount of time by the writer. But before the wedding day, we don't have to go back very far and, and... this is not even on their radar them getting married and them having a baby is something that probably would have never crossed their mind it's in their wildest dreams just maybe six months or so before the wedding ruth is not even in bethlehem she's still in moab and now here she is a wife and a mother well, how did this happen? <laughs> I'm not going where you might think I'm going with it. <laughs> I want you to recognize here something unusual about the wording in the text. And we see that this baby is a gift from God. A gift from God. Let's look at verse 13 again. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Very interesting wording, it isn't it? And the Lord gave her conception. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean uh, an immaculate conception like we think of our Lord Jesus, who uh, is conceived without uh, uh, human intervention. Okay. No, it, it clearly states that Boaz and Ruth did, in fact, come together. But, does this physical act guarantee conception? No, it doesn't. It does not. I mean, if we think back to Ruth, remember, she's on her second husband. She had been married to the previous one for ten years, and no child. And so there's got to be the idea of there may not ever be a child, which makes this story... All the more amazing when you think that Boaz promises to marry her to produce someone to keep on the family name. It's incredible faith, isn't it? (laughs) The physical act doesn't guarantee conception. Now, we must recognize that this baby is a gift from God. Now, we can say that about every baby, right? Human beings are God's creation we as believers in the lord jesus know that okay babies aren't just whatever it's not just a physical natural thing but what i want us to see here is that the text makes a point to say that ruth didn't merely conceive Uh, this is what we typically have in scripture if we go back to the very beginning adam knew his wife and she conceived cain knew his wife and she conceived and on and on and on But you don't typically have the Lord's explicit involvement like we do here. It reminds us of Abraham. We're told that Abraham went to Hagar and she conceived. But this is different in Genesis 21, too. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he has promised, and Sarah conceived. That's different, isn't it? That's the Lord's work. Directly and divinely attributed here to the conception of this baby. But there's something else that is peculiar about this. And what I want us to see here in the book of Ruth is that this is the the second time and only the second time that something is directly attributed to the Lord's action. We know that he's sovereignly working throughout this story. But only here do we see where it says the Lord did something. You have to go back uh, to chapter 1, verse 6, where Naomi heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. And all throughout the story, there's nothing else until we get to here. So the text spells out explicitly that this child came about because the Lord did it. He gave conception. This baby, this gift from God is also called a redeemer. And the hope is that he'll be a renowned redeemer. A renowned redeemer. Look at verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Now, the the women of the village here enter the scene, uh, or the the women of the neighborhood, as they're called in verse 17, and they are, uh, it's interesting that they have reassembled around Naomi. They had done this before, do you remember? Where did this happen before? Back in chapter 1. When Naomi returned from Moab, uh, it, it says the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And so these women are given a prominent role in the story. They assemble again. They are gathered around her. And notice what they're doing. They're worshiping God for his faithfulness to this once bitter and despondent woman. There was a time where Naomi was as low as she could be, unrecognizable to them. Is that you, Naomi? What's happened? You look, you look terrible. Ladies can say that to each other. And now... Look at what the Lord has done. Uh, I just want to interject here a reminder to all of you that that's something we've got to remember. If you're in a hard place, the Lord is at work. If you're His, if you belong to Him, He's working. We don't know what He's doing. We don't know what He's going to do, but I can assure you that He's working. If you belong to Him, and he has given not only Ruth, but Naomi, uh, a special gift. This, this child is not only a gift from heaven, but he will be what, uh, before the readers have been told, that Boaz would be, remember? They had asked that, that Boaz, may he continue to be renowned in Israel, and they prayed this same thing for this child, and what we see is that this child will be great like his father, surpass even. The reputation of his father. He would be renowned. That word literally means to keep the name alive. That is, that this child would be of such significance that even after he's gone, they would remember his name. This was their prayer, and it was answered. We're speaking about him today. <laughs> Thousands of years later. (laughs) What would bring this kind of fame and renown about? Well, notice that the women declare two things about this newborn son. And notice that it is a declaration now in uh, verse uh, 15. Not a prayer, may he be as we see in verse 14, but a declaration. He shall be, what, two things. First, it says, a restorer of life. Now, we talked about this last week. And we pointed out how uh, significant it was that Boaz and Ruth would have a son and that Naomi's family line would continue on. It would not end. It would not become extinct. And we mentioned how this speaks of resurrection, and that's what's really taking place here before us. Naomi, who was as good as dead. No husband. No prospects. Remember, when, when she was separating back in chapter 1 from, from uh, Ruth and Orpah, she said, is there any chance that I could have children? It's not going to happen. Even if I was married and got pregnant tonight, you'd have to wait for the baby and on and on. And she says, it's not... It's hopeless. It's a hopeless woman who is now holding a baby. And by the way, did you notice it appears to be his birthday? Verse 14 again, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day. And so the way I read this, I think that this was the day that this little boy was born. He will be a restorer of life and second, a nourisher of your old age. What we'll see as we continue on with the rest of this text is that Naomi will be taking care of this little boy who will one day take care of her. Isn't that a great provision from the Lord? He'll grow up and he'll get married and have a family of his own, but as long as Naomi is alive you'll take care of her amazing now here I want us to notice how the spotlight and I've mentioned this before in this section is on Naomi Uh, Boaz and Ruth are mentioned in verse 13 almost in passing it's a a transitional verse but then here in, in 14 through 17 the focus is on Naomi but that's not totally right Because we see now that the spotlight suddenly points back to Ruth. Who I call Naomi's invaluable daughter-in-law. Verse 15, the second half of verse 15, the women are speaking. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now... It's important that we see here, look closely at the text. This phrase here is a purpose clause. All of this, the the newborn son, the redeemer, the one who will care for Naomi when she's old, this great, famous, renowned person, all of this has come about why? What was it that prompted all of this? It was Ruth's great love for Naomi for or because your daughter-in-law who loves you. And how is Ruth described in their day? If you would have asked a Hebrew family, uh, maybe like Boaz and Ruth, who had just gotten married, what's the perfect family? Oh, seven sons, seven. uh, The Hebrews recognized as a perfect number. Oh, if we had seven sons, uh, a daughter or two, yeah, throw them in there. But sons in their culture were much more valuable. And so that would have been the perfect thing, seven sons. And Naomi says here that, or, or, or these women of the village recognize that Ruth, who's not even a daughter. She's a daughter-in-law. This is a a relationship that's only legal. (laughs) But Ruth is worth more than seven sons because we see in Ruth such a tremendous commitment and devotion to the Lord. We see here the working out from this woman what it looks like what what covenant love looks like because she has recognized the covenant love of israel's god and she's made a commitment to him and he has blessed her and because of this great love these women tell naomi she's worth more to you than seven sons what a statement i don't know if you can just you know let the magnitude of that hit you but it's incredible It's amazing, isn't it, how the Lord blesses and rewards those who don't focus on themselves. All through this story, the right thing to do, the smart thing for Ruth to do would have been to go back with her sister-in-law. Stay back with your people. Those are your best odds of getting a husband and having children. Stay where you know the language, you know the customs. And she left. Why would you do that? Only because of a, a great love that God has worked in her heart. And as we go through the story, Ruth, everything she does is selfless. She goes out and works for Naomi. She listens to Naomi's plan. Naomi says, Hey, this is what we can do. I think this will work. She obeys, she submits. And she trusts Boaz. Okay, you're going to take care of it. I'm just going to wait. You don't ever see her acting for herself. And if we could grasp God's covenant love the way Ruth has in this story, we would be the same. We wouldn't worry about ourselves so much. And we would reap a great reward and blessing as God has done here for her. Well, we've seen an, an unpredictable marriage, an unexpected baby. And then finally this morning, let's consider an unfamiliar name, an unfamiliar name. Uh, everything here in this story really is unpredictable, isn't it? Unexpected, unfamiliar This had to be a true story written by God. We could not have dreamed up something like this, something so beautiful, something so wonderful. But it's essential that we don't miss what actually has taken place here in verse 16. This is very important. Let's look again at that verse. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Uh, Listen, brothers and sisters, I need you to see this. This is the climactic scene in Ruth. Not Ruth going to Boaz and and him excitedly accepting her. Not Boaz going and gathering the elders in Bethlehem and having the the scene where all the legalities work out and the, the other Redeemer saying no. That's great. That's exciting. It's not the wedding, as wonderful as that is. Who doesn't like a love story? And this is a wonderful love story. And it's not even the birth of this son. All of these very important elements in the story. But the climactic moment in this story takes place right here. If I'm reading this right, what we need to recognize here is that the greatest picture of the gospel in this book here is in verse 16. This is a book filled with beautiful gospel pictures. What do I mean? Well, again, back to chapter 1. Naomi had earlier declared in chapter 1, verse 21, I went away full. But the Lord brought me back empty. And of course, we understand that, right? She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. She was on the verge of losing the family name and the property and essentially everything. And these women come to Naomi. And if we just follow the text, what it says, they are bringing this newborn baby to her okay (laughs) on the day of his birth and they present to naomi this child as a gift from ruth when naomi takes the child in her arms and holds him close to her the text says and she became his nurse now a couple of things may pop into our mind when we hear that we may think of something like wet nurse well That's probably not what the text is trying to tell us. It wouldn't really make sense, would it, at her age? Well, what else could it mean? Well, it could mean, you know, different things. Uh, One writer suggests foster mother. And that's kind of the idea here, but that has legal connotations, doesn't it? And, And look, the legal part of this has already been done. Boaz has already declared it back at the court scene. Whoever marries her is obligated to raise up offspring for Elimelech. So the legal part, that's, that's already there. Another writer suggests nanny, and that's helpful, although in our day and age, uh, I don't know what you picture. <laughs> but someone who is giving continuous care, right? Someone who has been given uh, care from a parent to care for a child. But the text here, if we just stick to the text, that's always a good idea, isn't it? Just look at what the text says. Stick to the text. It's the best thing I can tell you about studying your Bibles. (laughs) It tells us here that Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap. Now, the word here that is used for child is the same word that was used back in chapter 1 where we were told that Naomi lost her two sons. We might say that they, they, they laid this boy on her lap. Uh, chapter 1, Naomi lost her two boys. I don't think that's too unordinary. My mother at, at her age and me at my age, she says, that's my boy. But what I want us to see here Is that because of this incredible love that Ruth has for her mother-in-law? Naomi is getting something she never would have dreamed of. The Lord, who she said had brought her back empty, she went away full. The Lord has acted, has given her this baby. And the best way that I think we can translate this is that Naomi is going to be Obed's mom. Ruth is going to be the mother. She and Boaz, I think they're, they're going to be right there. These families are typically in, in that culture, in that time, close anyway. It's not like Ruth is never going to see him. We have pictures in Scripture of women giving their children to the Lord. And I think that's what Ruth is doing. What incredible love. We have here a picture of a woman who has lost everything, who has declared that she is under a curse from God, who suffers greatly, who is deep in the the innermost parts of her soul, feeling bitter suffering. She's lost her husband. She's lost her boys and this foreign daughter-in-law brings her a baby and says this is yours what a beautiful picture we have here and if we doubt it the text says it doesn't it look what the women say a son has been born to naomi And as I said, Ruth is the little boy's mother, but Naomi will be like a mom to him. I think he will be there. If any of you, when you were younger, uh, Stacy speaks of this sometimes, who went and, and, and spent the summer with your grandmother or your grandfather, maybe you stayed for weeks. Mom and dad didn't worry about you. You were at grandma's, and they loved it. They took care of you, and you helped them. And I think that's what we have here what a delight it would have been to this older lady to hear this this little baby who grows up and he becomes a little boy and he does little things around the house for her, and there's life and vitality in her old age she can she can watch this little boy grow up and know that the lord acted in such a way in such an unusual manner with this foreign woman to give back to her what she had lost that's what the lord does he reverses our course and all of us who were lost and hopeless had no hope and had lost everything and had no reason to 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 continue on this is what god does he gives us hope Naomi is now full again in a very interesting twist. This is something so unusual. The women name the little boy. This is the only time in the Old Testament where someone other than the parent names the child. And what an unusual name. What do they name him? They name him Obed. Obed, where do you get that? Well... My hunch is that they looked around at what they saw happening. And they named this little boy Obed, which means one who serves. One who serves. Obed, sent by God. A gift from God to a mother whose life could be best described as one who served. Yeah, yeah, the text is, uh, the, the, the prayers of the women is like, may he be like his father. They essentially name Boaz after his mother, or, or Obed after his mother. One who serves, he will be a man of, of fame and renown and raise up a royal line from which Israel's greatest king would come. He would serve not only Naomi, but all of God's people. Ruth had served Naomi. She had served Boaz. She repeatedly referred to herself as servant. And now she blesses Naomi and God's people with this little baby boy who will serve God's people. We must finally recognize the importance of The royal line being preserved. The royal line is preserved. It's interesting, isn't it, that the writer does not stop with Obed. Uh, This is really the, the culmination of the story. Can't we stop here? And the writer does not simply say they named him Obed. No, just to remind us that the point of this book is not just to tell you a really cool story. He continues, he, Obed, was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Everything is pointing to the king. Israel's great king, the royal line was preserved. in in these obscure people that you would have never imagined that God could have acted in such a way to do this. What an incredible story. What God does is so amazing here. The father of Jesse, the father of David, two names very familiar to us, but this little baby boy with an unfamiliar name will be the grandfather of the king. And ultimately... He is in the line of the King of Kings, our great Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who through, like Obed, obscure parents and a miraculous birth, came into this world given to us by the Father to come and not be served, but to serve. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Praise God today for his glorious gospel. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ and how in ancient times you worked. To ensure that he would be brought into this world, the preservation of the royal line kept intact through your sovereign hand as you worked in the hearts of your servants to gloriously bring about our King, the King of Kings, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that our Lord Jesus is the one who has conquered the one who is on the throne, who has conquered death and hell and the grave, the one to whom we look, the one who gives us his righteousness, the one who unites us to you. It is in his great name that we pray today. Amen.